Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. Thank you so much for listening. This one is coming out a little later than usual, as I've honestly just been overwhelmed with being back to in-person teaching while preparing for two shows and parenting. It's been quite a whirlwind end to the summer and start of the fall. We moved in mid-August when I was still unsure whether I'd be teaching in person or not. Somehow we've managed to get unpacked and I've started to set up my new garage studio between August PD learning that I would be back in person on a cart at both schools, preparing for that and then getting my daughter ready for in-person school, then diving right into teaching. The schedule has been challenging as I rush between drop-off and pick-up and teaching, and there have been many challenges. But it has also been so heartwarming to see students again and connect in person. What has your experience been so far this fall? I would love to hear from you. You can email me at teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com or reach out on Instagram at teachingartistpodcast. And I do have a few more interviews still coming this fall. I'm doing my best to keep up with the weekly schedule. I'm also planning a bit of a break for December, when I hope that you too will have some time to decompress and rest. Lorna Ritz talked about her process and the meditative work of creating space with paint. It was inspiring hearing her dedication to her work and how she shares that with students. We talked about modeling as a teacher and helping students learn how to see. Lorna also spoke about her beautiful large barn studio and the intensive process of renovating it, both when she first moved in back in 1986 and again more recently to abate a mold problem and save the barn. I loved hearing about her lifelong passion for oil paint and the way she thinks about color. Lorna has drawn the Holyoke Mountains for 36 years and is still learning them. Both the day and seasonal light changes on them constantly, filling her with curiosity to draw them better. She sets her easel up on a hill overlooking one of the only east-west axis mountain ranges in this country formed by glaciers. The mountains are so close to her so she feels she can almost reach out to pet them, like they're a big animal moving up and down as the cloud shadows allow the sun to hit them in a pulsating way. She works and reworks each drawing for many days, obtaining a specific light from the sky falling on the mountains that will never bring these particular colors again. Everything in the drawing has equal importance. The tree is as important as the mountain behind it, the sky as important moving behind them, as important the foreground coming up towards the viewer. Everything is democratically related, a conglomeration of spatial movements interrelated, needing each other to survive. 
Lorna studied with Gabriel Laterman and Leonard Anderson in the 60s and received a BFA from Pratt Institute, changing the course of her painting life into pure abstraction under the instruction of painter James Gehagen, a student of Hans Hoffmann. She received an MFA from Cranbrook Academy of Art in 1971 in both painting and sculpture, where she was welding steel and casting in bronze and iron. Lorna has taught at several universities, including the Rhode Island School of Design, Brown University, the University of Minnesota, and Dartmouth College. She has also been a visiting guest critic at the Vermont Studio Center and taught several drawing marathons at the New York Studio School. Let's hear from Lorna. I am speaking with Lorna Ritz, and I'm excited to hear about your experience. And I like to start just with a bit of background. Could you kind of walk us through how you got into art making and then also teaching? I I never really knew how it began because I was six when my mother enrolled me in art museum classes. And right away as a child, I was working in oil, and it was the smell that I loved even of turpentine. And as a child, there were no safety precautions. I just jumped in like it was mud, (laughs) which I was already playing with. I, I was always drawing, which is why my mother, who was a concert pianist, recognized in me a passion for putting an image on a page, which goes back to cave painting. Why did we do it then? And It was always what I loved to do. So it took at the age of six, if not before, and I just didn't stop. And I met all kinds of people along the way. And I worked realistically with major teachers in undergraduate school. But when I understood the freedom that one could have in putting colors together that would create space, that's Mm -hmm. when I let loose. And then you shifted to more abstract work. I just jumped in. Uh-huh. And and how it happened, I'll tell you, because I think it's valuable for other people to know. I was working with the renowned painter Leonard Anderson at the Art Students League. And I would come back on the subway with a wet painting at rush hour and have room around me because I would yell, wet painting, wet painting. <laughs> so one day when I was working on the figure again in Jim Gehagen's class, Jim was a student of Hans Hoffman. I got so frustrated painting the figure. I was always very expressionistic, which Anderson did not like. He wanted exactly as the ICs. And I got so frustrated and I took my hand and I moved the paint. And without even realizing it, I took some kind of a color and went around the mush and I saw space. And then I started to play with it automatically. And Jim came by and he went wild. And I couldn't understand what he was responding to. But he took me aside and pounded it in my ear. So the second painting, I started to play with the ideas more. And that was it. I got hooked. I love that. Yeah. And I feel like that is really inspiring and encouraging for other artists to hear, to make that shift and to say like, you know, even though this teacher that I so respect and so look up to is saying, do it this way, I can still change and do it my own way. Well, I think we all have a proclivity for Mm self-expression and it hadn't been revealed to me 
until then. And I think it's very important for people to be true to themselves so they can find it. Because mm-hmm. if they're insecure, they won't. And I don't know how to make that shift with my students. I do my best. But I, I'm so in love with what I do. And then it's catchy. But then when they're off on their own, they start wondering, am I any good? And it, mm-hmm. that's the wrong thinking. Or what if his is better than mine type of competitive thinking. Get rid of it. Yeah. And how do you encourage them? What kind of tips would you give other teachers too? I knew you'd jump on that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you can never give somebody to themselves, but you can be an example for them because I have lost so many opportunities. I've received so many rejections. And I used to think when I would get them, oh, poor fools lost me instead of Oh, I didn't get it because I have a path I'm on. Mm -hmm. And that's what people need to find for themselves. And when they see what I've been through, they have hope. Yeah. So leading like through example and through modeling. Yeah. Not giving up and having a lot of faith in yourself. And if you don't have it now, you'll never have it. So get it. Mm -hmm. The sooner the better. Yeah. I have little tricks I play on people. So they make, they have revelations. Oh, look what I did. And I love that. What are some of those tricks? One day I had a student up in the orchard drawing apple trees and blossom. Mm -hmm. And she kept saying, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And what I'm good at is showing her how to open up what she's already got and travel further. And when she saw something was working, she got so excited, and then she was on a path. And it's very specific because I teach formal visual problems. I don't teach a style. Mm -hmm. And so through those problems, people explore. And that's what I want. I want them to have curiosity, not worry. Am I any good? Because that'll kill it. Yeah. So having the focus be on solving these problems. Yes. Yeah. Because through very specific problems I set up individually with each student, they should be in a mindset of curiosity and exploration, not worry, am I any good? Will this work? Will it be successful? Yeah. And I like that as an artist, I also latch on to those little moments that feel really special and that feel successful. And I feel like more and more I'm learning to really with that feeling catches to go with it and follow it and chase it. Well, sometimes I'll tell a student that I went to a Van Gogh show and most of the paintings were brilliant. The detail in the poplar tree that I fell into and and once in a while he did a very bad painting. (laughs) And I tell them, don't worry, just be true to yourself, what your eyes are telling your hands to go after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, follow those instincts, follow your gut. But within the guidelines of formal visual problems, for example, composition, how colors relate to each other that move the space, you're after movement, you're after space. You don't want to keep the canvas flat. It's already flat. You want to create the illusion of depth and those types of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then do you also work as an artist that way? Like you start with those problems 
I am so hot on myself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Because, you know, painting space is very hard. Mm -hmm. It doesn't reveal itself until you relax and it shows you its potential rather Mm -hmm. than you projecting your will on it. So that's how I get my best paintings done, by not worrying and letting it reveal itself by being quiet for a long time allowing myself to stand in front of the canvas a long time. An idea always comes if I'm still enough. It's a meditation. And do you still, it sounds like that first jump into abstraction was very layered. I'm just imagining it with sort of the realistic beginnings and then sort of smearing that and adding some on top. Do you still kind of work that way? Or is your process very layered? It's a good question. I don't think of it as layered. I still work from the landscape. I need to look at nature, but it's always a spatial problem. Where is the cloud in relation to the tree? Where are the branches of the tree in relation to each other? How does the sky come through them? How does the foreground come up? It's all spatial. I could go on and on about my landscapes. But in the abstract paintings, it's a whole other problem. What I'm doing is like improvisational jazz. I'm taking what's out there in nature and flipping it up parallel to me so Mm -hmm. that I'm spatially moving inside the flat surface, creating the illusion of depth rather than sky gravity. Mm -hmm. Abstraction is a whole other problem. Yeah. And one that it sounds like has challenged you for a long time oh my gosh you know at the same time it gets harder it also Mm. gets more pleasurable but I have to keep going back to that quiet place within myself where it's a pleasure to paint rather than how am I going to get this and worry about the problem Mm -hmm. I see the problem instead of worrying how am I going to fix it I go back to that quiet place and it reveals itself to me Mm. it always does And that's the faith that one has in oneself from where great work can come. Mm -hmm. And it's the only place I trust. Not my mind, not my five decades of skill, although that helps. (laughs) It's something else now. It's more spiritual now, Mm. more trusting. And it takes time. It sounds like it's a very time-intensive process. Yes, my whole Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. It's that. That's how I spend my time is waiting for an idea to come. And I'm Mm -hmm. not even aware when I go to the canvas and start making it happen. My hands stop moving. My hands stop mixing paint because something inside myself saw another way in. And I see I'm loving being able to look on your website at the earlier work and then kind of move forward in time and just see how things have shifted slightly over the years. They have shifted drastically. Uh, you you know I've I've struggled for decades to get to where I am now because you've seen it. Yeah, and the marks looking at the earlier paintings, it seems like the marks were maybe bigger. Individual marks were bigger and movement was Yeah, I keep wanting to say like it's a bigger movement where now it feels like there's more detail going on. Uh, Yeah, that is that is right. I'm aware of that, but I want to go back to the larger spaces and Mm. have them have more meaning than they used to because Mm. I'm not the same person. And then you're also at the same time making these drawings 
that are recognizable landscapes with your, like, I can still see your hand in there and I can still see your, the same marks that you have in the abstractions. I'm curious how those relate. If you see the drawings as like sketches before the abstractions or are they just separate? I think it's more seasonal. Hmm. So the colors in the landscape will come into the colors of the paintings. But how I make the space move in the paintings is not how I make the space move in the drawings. It's a different animal. Yeah. If you go back and look at the older drawings, you're going to see larger spaces too Mm. because they're more specific now. Oh, I just saw also that you're still using oil. You're using oil crayons. That's my medium, and I've worked Uh. in all kinds of mediums. (laughs) I welded steel for 30 years. Wow. I cast in iron, aluminum, bronze. I chiseled wood. I've worked in clay. I play flute. I mean, there's so many vast expressions, but I love oil. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That we can see. (laughs) Oh, do I love it. (laughs) And in your teaching, have you... Like, I know for me, teaching forces me to work in lots of different materials or at uh-huh. least be like capable of handling lots of materials to teach them. Do you feel like teaching has is part of what pushed you to, you know, try out at least several different materials? No. No. <laughs> I, I just, I loved everything I did, but it was always oil from the very beginning that was my medium. Yeah. But that's a good question. I keep growing in the medium. Mm -hmm. I work with a high quality paint, even though I don't have money. I buy the best paint because I use less of it and I can get beautiful washes that I couldn't get with a cheaper paint. So I just keep exploring the potential of oil. It's Mm -hmm. a beautiful medium for me. I'm never going to be through with it. Yeah. It's got you. The oil crayon also, the whole barn is such a good crayon. It's pure pigment. And I use a razor to scrape into it and draw with the razor. Yeah. And I save what I scraped to reuse it in another place in the drawing. So then I'm imagining like a little pile of the scrapings somewhere in your <laughs> in your studio. No, I use them right on the same drawing. Oh, so like you'll scrape it and then with the razor place it somewhere right then. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't work, scrape it again. And then it becomes mud. And maybe there's a place in the drawing where I need that color. Right. Warm it up, cool it down. But I I try not to waste. Yeah. I love that intuitive way of working too and the immediacy of that, which, you know, my imagination is based on my process where I'm like, I have all these little bits and pieces and piles of things that will get put into whatever I'm making. But I love that you're like, no, there's I'm not saving them forever. I'm scraping it and reusing it right then. (laughs) Whenever I start a painting, I don't know how to begin. I'm lost all over again. Same thing with the mountain drawings. I go up to the mountain I know so well that Mm. I've been drawing for 36 years, and I don't know how to get it shaped. I have to study it all over again like it's the first time I'm seeing it. So I don't want you to think that the work comes in repetition or easily. It's not like that at all. Right. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's a really valuable thing for students to hear as well. This idea of looking, really looking. Yes. Even if you think you know what it looks like, you don't. I, like. <laughs> yeah, I had a student come to me and say, I'm taking your class because I want to learn how to paint. And I said, I can't teach you how to paint. 
but I can teach you how to see. Yeah, that's beautiful. And how do you approach that at the beginning with a student? Oh, I make them stand still for a long time (laughs) and look at a tree. And I say, okay, now draw it. And you know what the student does? A straight up and down for the trunk. I say, okay, you're not looking. Yeah. So we do it again together. And she sees that the tree goes up on the left, turns, goes up on the right, turns Mm -hmm. again, that the branches start to move apart from each other, that the clouds come through. And all of a sudden, she said, I didn't know I could see like this. And she's Mm -hmm. hooked. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I do maybe not quite as in depth, but I do a similar projects, even with the little ones with as young as kindergarten. They're the ones who can see. Yeah, they're amazing. I'm jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so much fun. They know it already. I think all children are artists and then they unlearn it. Yeah, so it's our job to keep them from unlearning. (laughs) Yeah, what happened to me? (laughs) And that's the other thing that I feel like is incredible is kind of setting aside any like safety precautions. But the idea that you were working with oils from such a young age and being encouraged with real materials and to really think like a professional artist from the beginning. I I just know I loved it. Yeah. And that's, you know, I've talked to a few other people who have said similar things that they had teachers or took classes at a very young age, you know, six, seven, that were the same types of things that they're now teaching to high school or even older. You know, that's really formative having teachers who believe you can do adult level work when you're a young child. I feel like that's really powerful. Attitude is everything. And again, we're back to sense of self. Yeah. And you want to build people up so they can explore who they are in this medium. I don't care what it is they do. They can weld snowplows. They can do anything. But they, Jane Goodall said it perfectly. She said, you make certain that what you choose to do in life, you really love because then you'll excel at it. And Pablo Casal said at the age of 90 something, I think I'm getting better. (laughs) Uh, uh, Getting there. Almost there. (laughs) Yeah. If you get there, you don't need to live. It's not about getting there. It's about exploring, wanting more. Mm Mm-hmm. And and when I told you that I go to a new canvas to begin all over again, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to begin. I'm terrorized. And people will ask me, how's the new painting coming? And I'll say, I don't know, for, for days. Mm-hmm. And then I pull back, I stop worrying, I wait, I look, I breathe, mm. and it begins on its own. Yeah. Yeah. And that that breath, like I'm imagining you breathe and also the painting starts to breathe. Yeah. And once I see that breathing on the canvas, I'm in. It's like a narrative. I'm telling a story. Oh, there's movement there. Well, what if something else happens over there and changes it? How can I make the expression deeper? How can I express feeling more? And it just keeps evolving because I'm starting to get intrigued. Yeah. And I love how that happens even when you're, like you said, you're painting or drawing a mountain that you've drawn before many times that you've lived near for so many years. And there's still this level of excitement and level of intrigue. The light changes on the mountain daily, Mm -hmm. minute by minute, seasonally. And when people say to me, why do you keep going back to the same place? (laughs) 
they don't understand. So it's always a problem of space. And it's a very hard thing to describe. And it's a very hard thing to paint, like I said earlier. But that is my commitment, how to evolve a painting from the one done before it. Mm. Thus, a lifetime spent. And I'm in gear. In this constant evolution. This year, I don't know if we should touch on this, but the pandemic has affected everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So I did a painting called The Angels Among Us in 2020 that was simultaneous when the peonies were in blossom at this time of year. And that painting said it for me of what I was feeling was going on at that time. There was so much negativity in the government. There was so much tragedy in the Mm -hmm. world. There was violence and there were the peonies. Now, how could I express all that? And I did another painting. Every painting from then on just became more specific in these things that are about which I'm discussing. Not peonies, but sunset, something out in nature that would come into the work and give me hope. Mm-hmm. Because nature does so love to flourish. That's beautiful. This finding hope in nature. And I love that line nature loves to flourish. You know, thinking about even weeds that push their way up through cracks in in concrete and Mm -hmm. things that just grow and thrive sort of despite us. (laughs) I feel religious about it. Mm. I'm looking at that painting now, The Angels Among Us, and there's another one, Heavy Heart, Sweet Blossoms. That was the first of the whole series. There's one before it called Pulsating Sadness, where I was getting sucked into the Mm. tragedy Mm -hmm. and hurting. And then Heavy Heart, Sweet Blossoms, The Coming of Spring, The Balance of Opposites. Beautiful. This depth that you've talked about with the values, like the dark and the light pushing and pulling in these colors. I often tell people it's not about light and dark. It's about warm to cool temperature range of colors and the light and dark takes care of itself if I'm true to how what the temperature range is in colors and friends argue with me all the time (laughs) one friend had too much to drink in a restaurant and slapped his knee and yelled how can you think that way (laughs) and everybody (laughs) looked at me I said it's about the temperature range of colors That's what I'm after. I could talk about that endlessly. How one color absorbs the heat or coolness in another color. And if it's too extreme, it's ice fire and they fight with each other. I don't want that. So it's a coming together of a harmony. Mm. That's all I'll say about it for now. (laughs) Well, I was going to say you have a lot of, like in these paintings particularly, there's lots of greens and reds. And I feel like the green almost, and then there's blue. So you have sort of the ends of warm and cool with red and blue, but then the green is almost acting like a little bit of a neutral in that respect with the warm and the cool, leaning more towards cool, but... Which painting are you looking at? Oh, the the angels among us. Okay. Yes. And the whites jump. And the whites really jump out. Yeah. I wanted the whites to be as important as all the other colors. And those greens, those deep, dark greens, had to be 
at the same harmony level of the reds. So they couldn't Mm -hmm. be stronger or weaker. So they would talk to each other. And then when the whites came in, it was a whole other dialogue. And the whites became an opening of a space rather than a shutting down. Those green curves and the white at the top middle, Mm -hmm. they were very important to integrate. I so, so, so appreciate your written reviews. It is incredibly meaningful to hear your feedback and how these conversations inspire, encourage, and entertain you. So if you're enjoying the show and you want to continue to support the show, reviews make such a difference, and they don't cost any money. You can leave a review by just scrolling to the bottom of wherever you're listening to this and hitting the five stars or writing what you've enjoyed about the show so far. Another fabulous and free way that you can support the show is to share the episodes you're listening to on Instagram or your favorite social media, Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, whatever you have. Screenshot and share to your stories in Instagram It makes me so happy to see you folks listening to this in your studios, on your commute, in your classroom, and to hear what your takeaways are. Don't forget to tag Teaching Artist Podcast so I can see it. And if you want to also tag my personal account, you can, and that is PottsArt, P-O-T-T-S-A-R-T. And then I want to get more almost technical, like I want to know more about your process. Are you using some of those oil sticks in the painting or is it all brushes? It's all brushes. Uh huh. And do you shift between sizes? It's pretty stable now. I used to work six and a half feet for decades. Why? Why did I put myself through that? And they were heavy because I used thick stretchers. Oh, mm. <laughs> I built them myself. Now wow. I'm, I'm using lighter weight stretches. They're around 48 by 58 or 38 by 48. But that's the full range right there. I'm working on a really little one right now. It's 28 by 16. And I'm really enjoying that size right now. But I have a painting up on the easel that's 48 by 38. It's a vertical. When I finish this little one, I will go to the big one. But I keep looking at the big one out of curiosity, what will happen, what it will what it'll be. I'm very good at finding out when I put paint on a canvas, if it's not coming from a real place in me, it doesn't mm-hmm. work. And I take it out, I say, don't, don't waste paint. Don't do mm-hmm. that again. <laughs> we all do it. Yeah. So I mix paint and try to stay as thin as I can for as long as I can and build up the surface over time. So the underpaint comes through. You can't do that with a cheaper paint. Mm-hmm. And that's how I begin. But every painting's different, how it builds up. Sometimes I carve into it with a palette knife, but mostly it's brushwork. Mm-hmm. And do you work on multiple paintings at a time? No, no just Always one. just one? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's like the whole focus is there. I admire somebody like the painter John Lees, who it takes him years to build up a surface. Mm. Oh my gosh, I don't have the patience. I want to get it now. <laughs> uh. But I love his work. I love how he gets there. So many painters I love. Yeah. 
Uh, and then your space, like you're talking about these large paintings. Earlier, you said you work in your barn. What is your studio like? It is the most beautiful studio uh, a painter could have. I don't know how it came to be. When I moved here in 86 from far away, the barn was behind the house. It didn't have a floor. It had hay from the underside up to the rafters, three floors. Wow. It took a year to get the hay out. <sighs> and I don't like height. It mm. took a year to dust the walls. It took a year to paint the walls white. It took a year to put a floor in. And it took a year to put used sliders. So I had light. Mm. And I painted that way, no heat, four or five months out of the year. And two years ago, the barn twisted. The walls were moldy. The roof was caving in. It was drastic. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the money to fix it. So I had to figure out how to save the barn. And I did. And I now have the most beautiful barn. I'll probably be paid up when I'm 86. <laughs> <laughs> but I have it. And there were people telling me, just knock it down. I had five decades of paintings in that barn. Mm -hmm. And it's such a beautiful space. During the winter, after drawing season, late November, I move into the house. I have a beautiful indoor studio. It's small, but it has beautiful light, north light. Mm. I've worked in other access lighting windows, and mm -hmm. it, it's just not good. You can't see accurate color. North light is what I have. Yeah, and I love that it's seasonal partly because of the space that you're you're like okay it's winter i can't be in my large space it's drawing time yes yeah that's how i break it up exactly that's great. so I'm, I'm outside with a lot of space and when it gets too cold to be out there i i draw until third week of november and that when the crayons start dropping from my frozen fingers i say okay <laughs> i give up and I'm in the studio. Yeah, beautiful. I, I like the breaking up of the rhythm. It works for me. Mm -hmm. But there are always people who say, why do you do this? <laughs> because that's what I do. Yeah. And so with your your barn, how did you figure out you, did you do a lot of the labor yourself again? No, I interviewed many post and bean carpenters. And I gave the job to the person who showed up and said, I love this barn. And I knew that he would be the best. And he was also the cheapest. That's amazing. And he did it. Nursed it back to life. <laughs> and, and here's something shocking. While his crew was working, I painted. Even though they walked between me and the canvas, I liked them all. And they had never seen anybody paint. So they respected how many hours I was at this painting in spite of all this madness. Yeah. I really craved quiet, but I was comfortable with them and I was able to keep painting. That must have been exciting for them too, to see. I'm sure I changed their lives <laughs> and they changed my life. They worked so hard. They were so good at what they did. One of the carpenters brought his parents to see the work he was doing. And the mother said to me, when he was 12, I went out to do an errand. And when I came back, he nailed everything in the house shut. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I had I a fondness that. for all of them. Yeah, that's beautiful. Bringing your, your space back to life, but also having that interaction. Yeah. Where are you located? I'm in Los Angeles. So, so yeah. yeah, I'm in 
a little apartment with <laughs> just a little kind of corner of a room carved out for my studio. Well, I was going to ask you if you had a, a studio. Yeah, it's, I mean, it doubles as my, now my classroom, <laughs> remote should, classroom. I should never have been bragging. <laughs> oh, no, that's, it's amazing to hear about and see other studios. And I can dream someday, maybe we'll have property somewhere and have a bigger space. But yeah, this is shared space. It's also my husband's office. So we have the room kind of divided. <laughs> You're lucky that you can make it work. And I'm sure you respect each other's different uses in the same yeah. space. It would drive me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, I mean, we used to be able to, he might be working on the computer or even like making music while I'm drawing or painting or making something. Now it's mostly splitting the time because we're one of us is always with my five-year-old. So <laughs> we're kind of like not in here at the same time uh -huh. most days. <laughs> Uh-huh. But that's that's beautiful what you describe is the intimacy. Mm -hmm. And you you support each other to do what you do best. Mm -hmm. Is that your work behind you? Yes. <laughs> yeah. You love color too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And my this is like my storage space. <laughs> put it all up on the wall because I don't know where else to put it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're working small. Yeah. I need to confess that when they were fixing the barn, there was so much mold in my paintings in the racks that I chose 149 six and a half foot paintings for them to cut away because they were no good anymore. And right. even if I loved them at the time and thought they were brilliant, when I looked at them now with the mold, I said, just take them away. Yeah. I don't know that they didn't clean them up and put them up on their walls. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's, there's something heartbreaking about that, having to say goodbye to these paintings. And, but then there's also this beauty in they lived letting their life. Yes. Letting go. I had no remorse. A lot of people said, oh, I'm so sad for you. I said, well, you should be happy for me. I'm free. <laughs> taking up a lot of space so it's much more organized now yeah I've had to let go because I've moved a lot so letting go of the work when I just can't take it with me usually I try to find someone who will take it <laughs> but <laughs> sometimes it's hard to be okay with that letting go so that's I'm impressed that you're able to kind was, of have peace with it and let go. It was easy. It was yeah. the right decision. <laughs> and That's in great. fact, I wondered how could I have done that? I thought it was wonderful back then. Look where I am now. Yeah. It's evolution. Yeah. And I, it made me think, you know, those pieces got you to where you are now. Like that was that was part of the story. That's the whole story. I had to go through so much to get to where I am now that I'm enjoying everything so much more. Yeah. And just not stressing the way I used to. My mother used to say to me, stop worrying. Everything is exactly as it's supposed to be. Uh, so I wrote it down and pinned it to the wall and it works. <laughs> yeah, that's a great reminder. <laughs> I have a question that I like to ask everybody. What are you curious about right now? How to evolve the paintings further so that I don't stay stuck with a past success? How do I integrate what's going on in the world, not just 
politically, but the losses from the pandemic and how do people cope Mm -hmm. and what gives them hope that I should have the hope. When I got the vaccination, I cried because I thought 550 people didn't have the option to get a vaccination, but I do. So it's about gratitude and I study gratitude. I think that's a great way to keep moving and to evolve, to move further, to focus on the gratitude. Okay, I have a fun, just kind of silly question that's more of like, let's get to know you. What is your favorite food? That's a very funny question. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) You're like, what? That doesn't have to do with art or teaching or... (laughs) I don't eat anything I can't kill. Mm. So I have a beautiful garden. And during the winter, I make pasta with fresh fish. Healthy. Yeah. I I don't snack Mm -hmm. and I don't eat junk. And I'm a yogi. I used to be a dancer, but I want my body in top shape. And such a huge, huge part of that is what you put inside it. Yes. I had a heal from an injury uh, January 2020. I had an accident on Amtrak and I had to deal with that for a year. I couldn't get the surgery I needed because of the pandemic. It was known as elective surgery. I have healed beautifully. Took a long time. Yeah, but that's amazing. Yes, I was told to keep my body strong, and that's what helped. Amazing. And then is there anyone that you would want to thank or give like a shout out to? First, my mother. I'd never be who I am today if not for her belief and faith in me. When everybody else said she doesn't know what she's doing, my mother Mm -hmm. said, yes, she does. Mm -hmm. And... For a long time, I played duets with my mother. She was a pianist, and I played flute. And that was a way to be close to her. I think that's why I did it. I love the instrument. So she's the first. And my friends and family who believe in me. In time, my brother and I have only gotten closer. And I love family. And I don't believe in fighting. I believe in supporting and loving each other. So I'm grateful to all those friends and family who whose delight it is to talk with me on the phone if we can't be together. Yeah. And I've been seeing friends lately after being a recluse all year. Right. I'm hugging people like I've never hugged before. It feels so good. Uh, So happy to take lavishly long walks with friends and then cook for them. And it's a much happier time than the worry of what was going to be with the pandemic. Yeah, that is an amazing thing to be able to hug again and have those moments. When I couldn't hug, I chased the goats next door. (laughs) (laughs) Give me another fun question. Well, I just have the last one is where can people find you? Where can listeners connect with you online? Through email on my website. And then we begin from there. Yeah. You know, I only use Facebook professionally. Mm-hmm. And I'm right now having a dialogue with a famous painter who hooked on to something I said to the painter who posted a painting. And we haven't stopped talking yet. Ah, I love that. And you connected on Facebook? On, on this person's Facebook painting. Yes. Amazing. And what is your, I know your website is lornaritz.com. What yes. is your Facebook? Like, where do people find you there? Um, Just Lorna Ritz. Let me look it up and I'll tell you exactly. Hold on. Yeah, and I will link to everything as well. Okay. Facebook.com forward slash Lorna dot Ritz forward slash. Okay, cool. So I will link to that. But if you 
look for lornaritz.com or lornaritz on Facebook. And yeah, it's been so great talking with you and just hearing about your process and your teaching and, you know, your life. I feel like it's very inspiring. I find that people have to have faith more. And I exude that. And there's plenty to go around. Yes. It's been a pleasure knowing you too. And I'm going to send you a picture of what happened to the bond. It's in a PDF file. Anybody who wants to see it, I'll brag about it. Oh, awesome. So I can share that too. I'll have blog posts and share everything. Sure. Yay. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lorna. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.